Oh, hey, everyone. I'm Zach, and this is Cody DePablo, and she is here to talk with me today about NCIS and the new season and maybe a few spoilers. So you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, he's Zach Stafford, and you are watching am to dm And here's a treat from Paul Devine. No one says fuck him as good as De Niro. That was referring to the actor's interview on CNN Sunday where he said of Trump and his supporters, fuck him. A couple of other words are also getting attention this morning. Jeet here tweeted, can someone at Twitter tell me if inciting a civil war is, any, is an offense that you can get you banned? Thanks in advance. After President Trump quoted a pastor saying removing him from office would incite a civil war. Mm, and that is trending right now, at least in America. I don't know globally, but civil war and what, civil war recruit or, uh, or sign yes, up? Yes, there have been a, a number of different hashtags that have now been trending. It's insane because, you know, we've joked or people in the past have joked that Donald Trump will erupt a civil war due to racial tensions and all these other things. But again, Ukraine is like the story that keeps punching. I didn't know we we're going to have a civil war over Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Uh, in the year of 2019, words still matter. Yes, yes. And as De Niro showed, words can be really great for morning television. Yeah. So fuck them on CNN, you know, doesn't violate any FCC ruling. It was just a great way to get an extra pep in your Sunday morning step. I was honestly like cursing on cable news. Put this in my veins. Like, <laughs> More of okay. this, you know, be more relatable to me and curse more. Um, yes. But the biggest tell, and I feel like just always in this era, is when people are more offended by a curse word than they are of uh, some of the egregious things happening yes. during the times in which we live. So yep. I just yep. feel like that is always something to watch out for. Yes, yeah, so if you were more offended by that moment, really reflect on your it's positionality the, yeah, in the world. Correct, perhaps, Because, yes. you know, fuck them is far less important than collusion and... <laughs> Treason. Any other, any other thing happening. A lot of other words that you can say on basic cable that do not need to be yeah. censored by the FCC. Actually, one of the funniest things about this clip was that when he says, fuck them, mm-hmm. you hear like an audible gasp <laughs> from like the crew in the background. And I feel like for probably for people working on um, cable news, and Brian Seltzer says like it's not an FCC yeah. violation. It's just, you know, maybe yeah. not the language people are expecting on a Sunday morning. I feel like the crew in that moment must have just been like, oh, are we going to get fined for this? I because have- the dude just said, because like, you know, that, that was the first thing I was like, how is he saying that? But yeah, I didn't realize. I was- have to say before we move on to this, from this is that, you know, how I know there's a gay person working in production on that show because that was the queen <laughs> that gasped. She's like, oh, sis. <laughs> like, she's the one that did it. So because I too would have been like, oh girl, yes, drag him. Yeah, yeah. It just made me realize like when I grew up, I want to bring that like big De Niro energy yes. to whenever I'm just like sick of everything that's happening, you know? Said, yes. So, well, let's take it to the timeline. What's your reaction to the news cycle? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Fuck them. That's it. Fuck them. Well, yeah. <laughs> switching, switching gears. Here's a tweet from the Daily Beast. A Vox News host reported that two frequent guests on the Trump-loving cable news channel were, quote, working off the books to help Rudy Giuliani dig up dirt on Trump's leading Democratic opponent, and the only person who knew was the president himself. Here's a tweet from Oliver Darcy. On Fox, Chris Wallace says, quote, the spinning that has been done by the president's defenders over the last 24 hours, it is astonishing and deeply misleading. So Wallace is saying many of his colleagues are behaving in an astonishing and deeply misleading manner. Yes? Hmm. Fascinating. Joining us today to discuss all things Fox News is the Daily Beast national reporter, Scott Bixby. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Going great. You know, fuck them is the energy today. So <laughs> feel free to bring that energy. It really is. <laughs> Scott, on Sunday, Chris Wallace reported that two contributors on Fox had worked in an off-the-books capacity on Ukraine. Walk us through that issue. So um, it was first reported by the New York Times back in May that Giuliani was beginning this sort of like odd quest to try and link uh, the Ukrainian government and corruption in Ukraine with uh, the hacking of the DNC back in during the 2016 presidential campaign, which is a conspiracy theory that has no real evidence behind it, at least none that's been made public, but that the president has really embraced wholeheartedly. And um So it turns out that uh, Giuliani was not just the single emissary uh, who was working on connecting these threads, uh, that he's also been working with two high-profile Washington, D.C. lawyers and frequent Fox News guests, uh, Joe DeGeneva, who has been a super fierce critic of the Democratic investigation into the president uh, basically since the beginning of the administration, as well as his wife, Victoria Tensing. Both of them were, according to Fox News' Chris Wallace, working with Giuliani to provide or procure or obtain opposition research on Vice President Biden. 
Uh, now, I am no expert, but this seems inappropriate, to say the least. So walk us through some of the legal and ethical issues with this arrangement. Part of the issue is that these two people do not work for the White House Counsel's Office. They uh, don't work even for Rudy Giuliani strictly. They don't work for his uh, consulting firm, uh, which is the entity through which the former New York mayor provides a lot of his legal advice. Um, they basically they were, as uh, Chris Wallace said, working off the books, which means that there's no accountability. There's no um, question of their tactics, about their ability uh, to obtain any of this information, if that information even exists. Um it basically, it creates one new avenue through which uh, the Trump administration might be working Ukrainian prosecutors or working the Ukrainian government uh, in pursuit of seeking some of this information against former Vice President Biden. These aren't diplomats. They're not uh, people who work for the government. They're just sort of like hired folks who want to go and uh, help out the president, help whatever the means that they're willing to do. And then, of course, there's uh, also the media angle, which is that both DeGeneva and Tensing have been regularly appearing on Fox News in defense of the president, saying that um, everything that has been happening as far as the Ukrainian investigation and the impeachment inquiry is totally bogus, uh, not revealing, of course, that they were deeply personally and apparently financially involved in thwarting that investigation. So, Scott, talk to us about the response from Fox News viewers and the right. I mean, I'm sure they are surprised that their own has uncovered this and put it on their own network. Um, well, Giuliani, uh, I, I think it should, the first thing I should say is that Giuliani has denied uh, previously working with any other attorneys in his quest for Ukrainian provided information. And uh, just early this morning, speaking with WBAL, a Baltimore radio station, uh, DeGeneva said that the claims are absolutely false, quote, uh, quote, and that the president was not involved in any of this. But um, it sort of speaks to a larger issue uh, happening at Fox News right now, which is the tension between the news side and the opinion side, always blurry, always difficult, uh, is now getting more pronounced. Both DeGeneva and Tensing have been frequent guests on opinion shows, specifically Hannity, Lou Dobbs Tonight. Um, and during this past week, during an appearance with Tucker Carlson, DeGeneva blasted uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who's a senior judicial an uh, analyst on Fox News, calling him a fool for assessing that Trump had committed a crime during his call with the Ukrainian president. So uh, this is also kind of throwing into relief the issues at Fox News between providing real information and then throwing red meat to their viewers who have almost already immediately dismissed the impeachment inquiry as a Democratic snipe hunt. Hmm. How, do you have any sense of how Trump is handling uh, how Fox News has been navigating all of this and their coverage of the, the complaint? We have a very strong sense of uh, <laughs> the president's feelings on that. Uh, yesterday morning through the afternoon and into the early evening, the president went on one of his patented retweet flurries, uh, retweeted basically every piece of criticism that he could find for uh, specific Fox News uh, reporters who had questioned some of the denials by the administration. Who uh, It started yesterday morning with a, a pretty intense cross-examination of Stephen Miller uh, on Fox News, and it, it continued to degenerate from there. Uh, the president clearly feels that there are certain people at Fox News, Lou Dobbs, John Hannity, Tucker Carlson, who he can rely on to be fair to him in his view, and then other members uh, of the Fox News firmament, uh, people like Shepard Smith, uh, of whom he has been uh, increasingly critical, I think it's fair to say. Okay, well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through the ongoing dramas at Fox News. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right. Here's a tweet from Monica S. Blake. If you're talking about Amber Geiger's future and how terrible this has been for her and her family, then please consider the fact that Botham Jean is no longer here to tell his side of the story and his family will never be the same. BuzzFeed News reporter Tasneem Nashrullah has been covering Geiger's trial. She tweeted, Amber Geiger, the ex-Dallas cop who shot and killed 26-year-old Botham Jean in his own apartment, began crying on the stand just as she was about to testify about entering Jean's apartment moments before fatally shooting him. The judge called for a 10-minute recess. Tasneem joins us now. Good morning. Hi, guys. Okay, so yesterday would have been Botham John's 28th birthday. How did this trial progress last week? So, obviously, it's been a very emotional trial. Uh, Botham John's parents and family have been in court. Um, you know, going through the proceedings. Um, the prosecution presented their case uh, last most of last week. Um, you know, uh, 
the, there was body cam footage of Botham lying uh, on the floor, bleeding, uh, that his family saw, that his parents saw for the first time, I believe. And, you know, they got very emotional about it. They had to walk out. His mom was crying. Um, Botham's sister testified. Um, she took the stand to talk about how close she was to her brother how much she misses him. She still calls his phone every day, I mean, sometimes um, just to hear his voice. Um, so obviously it was very emotional uh, for Botham's family, but also it was very dramatic because um, Amber Geiger's um, partner, Martin Rivera, testified. Um, he was also um, her lover or her ex-lover, as they say. Um, and he took the stand to testify about their uh, relationship and about how they were sexting, you know, on the night of the shooting. Um, and of course, uh, the most crucial part was that Amber Geiger herself took the stand and sort of uh, for the first time publicly spoke about what happened. And can you tell us more about what she spoke about? I think the crying is making news a lot today, but was there any other substance that she gave us? Yeah, uh, there was quite a bit. Obviously, she the, the crying was, you know, the big thing because uh, she sort of broke down twice. Um, she basically said that she hates herself. She feels like a piece of crap. She uh, hates that she has to live with this every day. She doesn't deserve to be with her family and friends. She, wish, she wishes that Botham had the gun and had killed her instead. Um, so, you know, there was all of that, but um, the substance to it was that she basically testified her version of what happened um, the night of the, the shooting. Um, so basically she said that, you know, she parked on the wrong floor. She, she thought it was her floor, but she parked on the fourth floor. Um, and then she, you know, walked to uh, what she thought was her apartment. Um, she, you know, pushed, put, put, put her key in the lock, but the door was already cracked open. She said she heard some movement, some shuffling inside. Her heart began racing. Um, she thought that there was an intruder in her, in her apartment. And then, uh, you know, she, the door sort of like opened because of the momentum of her putting her key in the lock. And then she saw a silhouette in the room. Uh, she immediately withdrew her gun. Uh, she, she removed her gun. Um, and according to her, she yelled, um, let me see your hands, let me see your hands twice, which the prosecution disputes. Um, but she said the figure like sort of advanced towards her in a very fast manner. Um, she described him saying in an aggressive voice, hey, hey, hey. Um, and as he was walking towards her, she said she was scared for her life. She said that she could not see his hands. She thought the, he was going to kill her. So basically, she shot him twice. And, you know, the prosecution got her to testify that, you know, she intended to kill him uh, when she shot her weapon because she, as she described it, he was a threat. Hmm. So what has the reaction been to uh, her testimony and just the trial itself? Um, obviously, I think the whole crying thing has, you know, people talking. There's not much sympathy for her. Um, you know, they said that she sort of didn't seem to care about it at the time when the shooting happened because she was still, like, texting with her lover who was, like, married with kids. Um, even after the shooting, she was, like, texting with him two days later saying, do you want to get drunk? Um, so there's overall not a lot of sympathy for her. Again, there's... While race has not been sort of really discussed during the trial, of course, there's the whole race factor that people talk about because it's, a, it's another case of a white police officer killing an unarmed black man. Mm. Well, Tasneem, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Right. Well, coming up, Alex is talking to actor Ruby Rose. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back, y'all. It's now time for one of my favorite parts of this show, where yeah. I get to see how much Alex and I can giggle. Are we going to bring that big fuck em energy to yes, this? Yes, because that's, that's the <laughs> <laughs> Today's all about fuck em energy, yeah, exactly. especially with these tweets. Exactly. You want to get us going? Yep. <laughs> Ashley, you tweeted, I'm so glad TV is back. Summer was long. I got so bored, I almost rekindled a friendship. <laughs> you know it's bad when you have people that you are like, we are not friends anymore, but I have so much time on my hands, maybe we'll be friends again. Maybe we can have those drinks, but what's funny is once you do that, you realize why you don't talk to these people, <laughs> and you peace out. Yeah. Like, sorry, girl, fall is not for you. No, nope, thank my, you. What is it, fall? Hot, not hot girl. Hot girl summer. No, it was hot girl summer now. Smart, smart nerd fall, something, something. like that. 
Tweet us. What's Big the correct fuck answer? Fuck them all. That's it. Fuck them all. We said fuck them so many times today. Well, all right. Fake feelings. You tweeted. At the gym, I said subscription instead of membership, and the girl replied with, LOL, this isn't a pharmacy. Bitch, that's a prescription. We're both stupid. <laughs> I just like that we're both stupid. We're both stupid. It's not prescription or subscription or. It's confusing. Uh, you know what she meant. You knew it. Yeah, you knew it. Yeah. Girls, <laughs> you tweeted. I know my coworkers look at my pictures thinking, why did this girl never look like that for work? That's because half the clothing that I own that I would not wear at work, it just would not be, you know, workplace appropriate. A friend of mine who shall not be named explained to me about, she wears like some great looks, but she has her Instagram super private. Oh, she's, em- really? she's embarrassed if her coworkers found out that she was like getting her thought on. So they'd, they'd be like, who's that? <laughs> I was who's like, girl, that? let your freaking flag fly. It's fine. But I also fully expect everyone to, you know, I say, I call it like work drag. Yeah. Like this is your work drag. And then you have your like weekend drag. Yeah, your thought you know? drag. Yeah, exactly. Go out, mm-hmm. thong on, all the things. <laughs> Watch out, world. All right, Myrna, you treat it. Listens to my own playlist. Me. Fucking masterpiece. Like, oh, <laughs> these six songs that I replay all the time. So I have a secret Fresh I'm it. going to share with everyone that Alex is aware of, but I use Spotify very much every day, but I have yet to make a playlist. So why? <laughs> like, but wouldn't, don't you have a collection of songs that you like to hear together? They're called albums. Yeah, I do. You just listen to like the full <laughs> album. I listen to Solange's albums so many times or Blood Orange over and over. The only thing I collect are if I, I listen to the Discover playlist, which I think is quite good. That Spotify which does that for is you. A mix. That is a playlist. Really good. You just don't have um, and then through that, I will save certain songs through that. Mm. And I have like the save song playlist. That's my only one. You, I feel like you need to bring your own. Well, give me some advice. What do you do? Um, I mean, I definitely take the songs that pop up in Discover uh-huh. and then I you know, put them into one playlist or if I'm just like in the mood for something, somebody's giving me like a vibe. I have a lot of seasonal playlists. So I have like a summer 2019 playlist and a fall 2019 playlist. And so, and the thing that I love about that is that I can go back to my like winter 2015 playlist and it just takes me back to that moment. To that moment. Okay, I'm going to try to get better at this. Yeah, you should do it. I love I think you would like it. I think you'd be into it. I also just like, I also listen to a lot of SoundCloud and there are certain DJs that I listen to their sets and they're like three hours. That that makes sense to me. So I do that. So one of them, Selection, if you're looking for some some like real good music, you have someone over, you want to light a candle, Selection. You're such a youth listening to SoundCloud. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, girl. Young. Look at this skin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's take it to the timeline. What is your favorite song on your playlist? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Right now I have uh, this one Santa Gold song. I forget what it's called. It's not even recent, but I'm like, I'm getting really into it. I love also rediscovering music mm-hmm. that's somewhat recent. And then you just like replay it. That's so that. millennial of you. Nostalgia. Oh. Oh, Bring it back. You. Bring it back. All right. Ready for tweet of the day? Yes. This comes from Benj. Also, the thing getting lost in all of this is that Hunter Biden is hot as fucking hell. My boyfriend's hot take on the latest impeachment reporting. Uh, this is such a hot take because it's not true. I'm sorry, Benj. I was been texting him about this. Let's get a photo of Hunter. Let's just yeah, clear this all let's up let today. let the people judge for themselves. There's Mr. Biden. Hunter Biden, who's now maybe the most famous person in the world that people don't realize what he looks like. Handsome guy. Not smoking, not a snack fest. Here's a... Okay, but... You go for it. But, no, 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 you go for it. But I want who, you to have this. I want you to have this. Who is a snack? His daddy. <laughs> Age 21. Let's roll that. Let's see that. Bloop, there we go. So, that is, there uh, we that's go. Joe Biden. There we go. Yeah. Sorry, Benj. Tell your boyfriend, I will not say his name out loud, he is wrong. It's Joe Biden. I personally feel a little bit uncomfortable calling presidential candidates a snack, but I I'll, don't. Let, I'll let you have your... I don't. Yeah. Actually, take it to the timeline, y'all. Tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> Which president do you find to be a snack? Let me know, at Zach Zephard, and we can geeky about it. All right. <laughs> well, moving on, you get to see my sit-down with actor Cody DiPablo, but up next, Alex is talking to Ruby Rose, who's playing Batwoman on the upcoming show on The CW. Olivia, you tweeted, I'm excited for that new Batwoman show. Ruby Rose, yes, come to me, baby. And Michaela, you tweeted, um, Ruby Rose is now Batwoman and all my gay feels hurt. Here with me is Batwoman, Ruby Rose. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Yeah, uh, lots of uh, excited tweets out there. For yeah, you, so. I, mean, I mean, it was just two. Just two, but, but there are plenty to choose from. <laughs> but uh, no, that, that's awesome. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to read those tweets. Yeah, well, I want to uh, get into this show. Um, you, this is actually the first live-action Batwoman um, and that you get to play. So was there anything unique that you wanted, wanted to bring to this character? 
I mean, yeah, I think it's it's such an honor to be able to play such an iconic character for the first time that no one has mm. ever played before. Mm -hmm. Because you you don't have to kind of do re do the research and look at how it's been done before to make it your own, and you, you don't have to sort of pay homage to how people have done it in the past. So it's kind of like it's great, but there's also no template. Mm. So it's it's equally frightening and equally exciting. Um, but I guess the way I just want to portray her in a truth. You know, that, that's it. I just want her to be authentic and I want people to resonate with her and, and all the characters on the show. Mm. Well, speaking of that uh, authenticity and uh, the way this character has re resonated, she's resonated for so many people um, for such a long time. Um, what do you want people to see in this role and in this character? Um, strength mm. and courage. Mm -hmm. And just that you can come up against so many things in your life and you can still do whatever you want to do and you can make changes at any point in your life to, to change the direction and to pivot and to, mm -hmm. to never feel like you're stuck in one place. Um, Kate Kane's story is, is unique, but it's not unheard of. And mm -hmm. one of the things that happened to her was getting kicked out of the military mm -hmm. for being gay. And, and that, that was awful for her and awful for a lot of people that that really happened to. And so it, it's amazing to see her go through that and then have to find another purpose in her life when that was what she really dedicated herself to. Mm -hmm. And she, she, she turned into Batwoman. So I mean, I, you <laughs> yeah. can, anyway, I mean, any of those things would be great. Just, just try it. Just yeah. get a suit and, uh, and a red wig and be laughing. And just do it. Um, how do you feel about how uh, she's labeled? Like, do you have any hesitation when, if she's called uh, like the lesbian superhero or the queer superhero? How do you feel about the way that kind of labels come into this role? Uh, well, I think it's it's worth mentioning. I mean, mm -hmm. that she's gay, uh, because I think that the, for people that maybe didn't know and haven't read the comics and weren't aware of that, it allows them the knowledge so that if it's something they want to tune into, if it's something that you know, if they feel that way as well, and they're like, oh, "This is so amazing! I can have a, a lesbian superhero." I think mm -hmm. it's fantastic. I think I'm like neither here nor there mm -hmm. on how often the labels get used, mm -hmm. um, because I also just think that she she's a superhero. I mean, she she's a, She's a hero. Mm -hmm. What did you make of, there was some criticism and uh, you know, a lot of people on the internet have a lot of opinions um, and around the casting of this role, um, there was some criticism around the idea that you weren't like gay enough or queer enough to play this role. How did you feel about that? <laughs> and that is all that you have to say and do on that matter. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I, I didn't really care Yeah, because I worked really hard to get the role. I really wanted to do the role. It's a dream role. And I mean, I've said it before, but it's like, I'm not gonna be on my deathbed wishing the people that I don't know on the yeah. internet like liked me more. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that I bring to the role what I believe I'm bringing and mm -hmm. the writing and the directors and everyone we have involved in the mm -hmm. cast, they're phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So people are always gonna have an opinion. I had a pretty strong opinion when Jason um, Biggs was cast as Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. Uh, because I have a Ninja Turtle tattoo of Leonardo. And I, as a kid, thought that I would marry Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. Uh, and I didn't think I would marry Jason Biggs. So, you know, it can be confusing. Yeah. Because yeah. you grow up with your own idea of what your hero or what the person that you grew up, you know, idolizing is going to be like if they're ever played in live action. And some people picture somebody else. Yeah. And so I totally get that. Yeah. But I also then, like... I love Jason Biggs, you know, I just don't want to marry him. Um, so it, it, just takes, it just takes time, and I think it, it's easy to have a, an opinion on a show that hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about some other aspects of the show. You actually uh, just recently posted on Instagram that you had a neck surgery because of an injury you sustained doing a stunt. Yeah. Um, what happened? Like, are you okay? <laughs> um, what made you want to post about this? I... <laughs> That's a lot of questions in one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am okay. I Look, I, I can move my neck. I'm getting better and better at moving mm -hmm. my neck, which was, which was something I couldn't do before. Uh, it was very terrifying. I thought I was, you know, you don't know what happens before you go into the surgery and if I was gonna become paralyzed mm -hmm. and I know that if I didn't get the surgery, that there was a really high chance of that happening. So it was kind of like I didn't have a choice. And I didn't tell anyone for a long time because I didn't want to distract from the show mm -hmm. and I didn't want to uh, have people worried about me and I didn't want to talk about it and be like, yeah, yeah, I did this great surgery, everything's great, and then not, and it's like happened and be like, just kidding, mm -hmm. just kidding, it didn't work out, guys. Um, so I just waited a little bit and then I wanted to talk about it because Hollywood and, and, and the world at large, I guess, we, we always try to make out like everything kind of is effortless and everything is about kind of being perfect and it being sort of a certain way. And, and I think in Hollywood, it's sort of like, 
you're meant to be young and beautiful and strong and did all these different things. And I, it's kind of like, but we're also human beings. Mm. And I wanted to embrace the fact that like, yeah, no, I have a Pez disciplines which I, mm-hmm. I'm like, I just, I wanted to get like a little Pez. <laughs> but they, they wouldn't let me. Um, but no, I wanted to talk about it because I've lived mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm, I'm proud of and it's something that means a lot. It also reminded me to slow my roll, mm-hmm. slow down a little. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people, people out there that have to get much worse surgeries than mm-hmm. this and I would rather talk about it than pretend mm-hmm. that it didn't happen. Also, people kept asking me, how hard are you training for Batwoman? And like, how often do you train? And is it the hardest? You-? And I'm like, and I had to sit there for a couple of weeks and be like, Training really hard. Training super hard. Um, So hard I'm training when I couldn't move. Like I wasn't allowed to move for 10 days and I wasn't allowed to train. So we rejigged the schedule so that I could do like the stunts that I wanted to do later in time when I had like recovered better. But I also felt like really weird lying about it. Like... Right. People, I like, they could see this and they're like, so did anything like, happen? Like, that's new. Have you yeah. had any like crazy things happen on set? Like any accidents? And I'm like, that I can think of. <laughs> like, not no, worrying about. Just, I think I got a black eye one day. And yeah. I was like, wrong to me. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm not good at lying. I'm a lot better at telling the truth. So you're back to doing stunts though? Yeah. 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 Within my, uh, yeah, within my ability. Uh, I really like doing them. Yeah, I don't um, think I could stop. Can we talk about the bat suit? Because I read that you, it's like missing a zipper. Mm. Tell me about this. Yeah, it is missing a zipper. Yeah. <laughs> but do do so the, like all the dudes? They get a zipper, like or a zip, a zip, Z- a zipper, a zip, zip. Yeah, whatever. They get one, and I don't. And uh, it, it just means that you can pee. It's what, what the zip is for. And I and I don't get one. And so when I have to. Pee. Um, this is so so good for morning television. <laughs> I well, I guess people need to pee in the morning. So it's like you get out of bed, hopefully already by now, and you want to go to the bathroom, but instead your pajamas are like a one piece, and there's four layers of it, and then you have to have somebody else like unzip your pajamas, and then you can finally pee. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, but it's worth it. Are you gonna get? Are they gonna like redo the suit? Are they gonna adjust it at all for you? The thing is, like, the guys can do it because they often have, like, an underwear yeah. kind of thing built in that looks, you know, like they weren't wearing underwear over the top of their pants. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, strange now that I think about mm-hmm. it. That really hit me. Uh, but women don't. Mm-hmm. So I either, like, you know, I could get underwear put over the top of the costume, but that's not really the character. Or we can figure out, if we get another season, how to incorporate one. All right. Well, definitely hopeful for that. Thank you so much for yep. joining me. This was really fun to get to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Batwoman premieres this Sunday on The CW. Up next, I'm talking to Golden Globe winning actor Chris Colfer. Chris Colfer is many things, including a Golden Globe winning actor, a screenwriter, and a New York Times bestselling author. His latest book, A Tale of Magic, is his 15th. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Well, I want to read some of these numbers just to get us started, and I hope my math is right on this. Um, In the six years since Glee Wrapped, you've managed to write 15 books, which would be an average of about two books a year? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I guess, I guess yeah. so, yeah. Um, how do you do that? Uh, lots of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah, no, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I, I've wanted to write since I was a little kid, and um, luckily, uh, Glee opened the door to a lot of mm-hmm. opportunities for me, and uh, I jumped on every single one of them. <laughs> mm. how, how has it been different? Like, how has your approach to this kind of art and creativity been different from acting, like, as an author? It's so different because when you are a writer, you are solely dependent on on yourself and your own imagination. It's it's a very very independent uh, art form, I guess. Mm. I guess you could say. Whereas with, with acting or, or or screenwriting or directing, there's so many chefs, you know, in, mm. in the kitchen that it, um, it's a little. Uh, you can make excuses. You can always you can always blame the other guy when you're, when you're doing those <laughs> things. But a writer, you uh, only have yourself to blame. <laughs> when you sat down to write the first book, did you ever envision that it would become a series, let alone a New York Times bestseller, mm-hmm. and you know? now even get another life on the big screen eventually? No, I didn't. No, I, um, I, I just wanted the first book to happen. It was, it was a, a goal of mine since childhood. Um, uh, I, I, want, I, I hope and pray that it would make some list somewhere, uh, maybe the New York Times, maybe you know, you know, something, or else, something else, but um, I, I never thought it would turn into uh, mm. what it's turned into, no. Mm. Um, now, when it gets to uh, the big screen, have you thought about casting at all? And like, oh, of you course. Well, yeah. Tell me a little. Oh my bit. gosh, who's I on your mind? I don't. Who I, can you tell oh my me god. About? Well, I mean, if Meryl Streep wants to do all the characters, <laughs> that's fine with me. Um, but the problem is, I, I've been that actor so many times, or someone publicly has said, "Oh, I want him for this role," and then I never get a phone call. So I don't want to do that. Yeah. But um, yeah. but no, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of really cool people. Um, 
And um, uh, I mean, so- sometimes I see these people at parties and I ruin it right then and there because I, I fangirl all over them. But um, uh, yeah, no, hopefully we'll be able to have this conversation soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, A Tale of Magic is the prequel to Land of Stories. Um, and I read that you said this was, it was harder to write or this was the hardest to write. Why mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. Well, I honestly, I think it is the best book I've ever written because it almost killed me. Uh, it, <laughs> it, everything in this book is an allegory. Uh, mm-hmm. about something that, uh, that I've experienced or something that frustrates me. Um, and two of the main themes are oppression and mm-hmm. prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about breaking those two things down into a language that a child can understand yeah. that just makes you so furious because you realize just how pointless they are and mm-hmm. how, how damaging they are, mm-hmm. yet people hold on to them like there's some sort of award. Like there's some sort of like, there's some kind of credibility to, to, to being an oppressive, prejudiced person. Um, and so there are many times I would, I would get so angry that I would have to, I'd have to walk away from my computer and, and, and cheer myself up and, and go do something else. Yeah, I mean, that seems like you would definitely need to take a breath or mm-hmm. a little break um, yeah. in between digging into that material. You actually told, on, on this theme, you told USA Today that um, one of the biggest motivations for this book was actually for parents and teachers mm-hmm. and for all the parents and teachers out there who are having a difficult time talking to their children about the troubling things they see on the news every day. Were you thinking um, in particular about certain real-life examples um, that you wanted to translate to, to paper? Oh, absolutely. Was, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad I took my poignant pills when I said that <laughs> that day. Um, uh, absolutely. I, 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 I was a kid during, during um, when 9-11 happened, mm. and, and I remember how that news cycle used to just terrify me every day. And, and I think about nowadays, kids, with, 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 with the 24-hour news cycle, yeah. where, where there's constantly a, a new terrifying headline every, every 20 seconds, um, I really wanted to write something where parents and teachers could, could something that they could use as a, as a point of reference and, and, and as an example to mm-hmm. explain some of the troubling things that are happening um, in our world today. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of the, the biggest compliments I've ever received from The Land of Stories is that so many families read them together. They, they read them before bed or, or uh, they listen to the audiobooks on, on, on car trips. And, and the fact that it's been a group activity for so many families, um, I, really wanted to, I really wanted to write something for that to, to, really, to really, really make that, make that worth, worth, you know, add some value to that time. Mm-hmm. When I think uh, about uh, just oppression and, and the news cycle, one of the things I think about as an LGBTQ person myself is uh, like the fits and starts of progress and oppression, um, you know, over the past decade. And you became such a, a, a memorable LGBTQ uh, voice thanks to your Golden Globe speech. Um, but how have you been thinking about this moment that we're in uh, as LGBTQ people? Oh, my gosh. You know, it, it's, it's funny. I... Um I, I back in the day, it was it, I, I really made a point to to be as poignant and art, as articulate as possible about those, those situations uh, because there weren't many people doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had your handful of people. You had Elton. You had Ellen. You mm-hmm. had Adam Lambert. Um, but uh, it was very, very few uh, compared to what it is now. Yeah. Um, and uh, nowadays, I really, I, like, you think of people like Laverne Cox and, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Van Ness, and they're just like, they are so perfect, and, and we're so lucky to have people like that. Uh, these days, I have a hard time being an advocate without using swear words. <laughs> so I think, uh, I, I think I, I'm, I'm happy to pass that torch <laughs> on to people who, uh, who, can use, who can use it better than I ever could. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we gotta talk about something that I saw uh, on your Twitter account, which is you took a picture Uh-oh. with Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Oh, he did, and yes. And Cousin Chastin. Mm-hmm. Um, what was this moment like? What did you talk about? Oh my gosh, it was very, very brief. Um, I would love to say that. Oh, we talked about foreign policy, and, <laughs> and oh, and you know, and, and I told him wh- where I would like to be an ambassador for. Um, but uh, no, it was very, it was kind, it was kind of rushed. But uh, but uh, uh, he gave an incredible speech at the end of that, the end of that fundraiser, um, and I just, I just think the world of him. Do you do you like think about what it's like to navigate politics as a public person? Is it easy to talk about politics as someone in your position? Um, is it something you try to be careful about? Well, it's it's it's. I, I try to be careful. Um, uh, it's easy to be a liberal in the entertainment industry. That's very easy. Uh, but you know, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, not so easy. When I when I go home to you know my, my conservative uh, family, so uh, it really yeah. is just kind of which which hat am I wearing? Am I wearing the PC hat today, or am I just wearing the you know raging liberal hat? You know, when I'm talking to my friends. Mm. Mm. Um, well, uh, speaking of Hollywood, um, do you have any plans to go back to acting? Are you do you want to really stick with uh, your writing and and your work as an author? You know, I, I don't consider myself retired from acting, but um, I, I don't have any plans as of right now. Mm. I, um, I, I, I've had opportunities that, I, that, I, that, I have, that I've passed on so I could focus on writing. Um, and then there were opportunities that I pursued and, and just didn't get, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll see. I, I really, I mean, with Glee, I mean, I mean, my first role did some crazy, crazy things. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really want to find another opportunity that will be, uh, well, I don't know if I'll ever be able to recreate that experience, but... 
something I just feel is 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 really meaningful and um, and uh, can you know really touch a lot of people. Mm. That's kind of what I'm after. Mm. Well, before you go, um, I want to bring up this uh, adorable photo that you posted on your oh. 29th birthday. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Like uh, th- just the poses, still are got it. T- timeless and amazing. <laughs> um, and thinking about all of the themes that you've been writing about, and just you know your work um, being visible in the media. Um, what would you say to that like little kid there about where you are now? Oh my god! What would I say to him? I would. Oh geez, I'd say. Uh, start exercising now. <laughs> adolescence is going to be rough. Exercise, um, moisturize, moisturize, sit ups, uh, <laughs> mentally prepare yourself. Uh, oh, well, what wouldn't I tell that kid? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah oh my gosh, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it has been so lovely getting to talk to you. Oh, you should thank you for having me. me. And Here. congratulations on all the success of your books. Thank you so much. Thank you. A Tale of Magic is available where books are sold. We go from A to Z up next. Here's a tweet from CNN. These five freshman congresswomen change history by becoming unlikely leaders on impeachment. Let's take a look. Even before they were elected, you have adopted the badass label. These freshman congresswomen created their own group, the badasses. We were out running for Congress, you know, across the country, and we kept running into each other. Badasses kind of came organically from the, the group <laughs> since we all had either served in the military or in the CIA. What? Badasses, not the squad that I was these, expecting. Uh, CNN, you say these women leading the calls for impeachment. So, Alex, those are those are the women that have been the, doing this they, the whole time. They were the ones. Time. They, they haven't been on the show. What? Excuse me. Excuse me. Because we, you know, okay. I think we have some treats yeah. for this. Here's a tweet from Ellie. Man, it's a good thing no black women were out front for months and years leading the calls for impeachment and getting attacked by the president and catching death threats for it. Because if there were, this story would really piss me off. Oh, wait. Uh, and here's a tweet from Eric Nunn. It was a different group of freshman congresswomen who led this charge. Waters, AOC, Talib, Omar, they suffered death threats for it and more. Ye gods, this is a trash take, CNN Newsroom. Was this wash instinctual or deliberate? And we must note that that tweet isn't fully correct. It's uh, Ayanna Presley, yeah. who is uh, one of the freshman congresspeople. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters, Waters is, has been in Congress for a while and is an icon, a legend, and frequent guest here on mm-hmm. BuzzFeed, mm-hmm. AMT, DM, News, DM. I'm just giggling because this, what did yeah, you think? Yeah, it was, okay, so what, actually when I saw this tweet, uh, when it came on through my timeline, I like almost spat my coffee out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, look, not trying to diminish the work that uh, these five Democratic no. women have done, um, but it was really the framing is mm-hmm. what got to us, right? Like CNN could have made it uh, like a distinct story about like the five moderate women Democrats. Mm-hmm. Here's who they are. Like here's what they call themselves. But um, it just felt like it, it was like revisionist history in a way. Yes. And then the package itself really places them and the squad kind of at odds with each yes. other, which like. Yeah, so there are, it does feel like they're put, they're kind of putting them against one another, but it also does it a disservice of what they're doing because you know when we talk about the squad leading up to this impeachment and we talk about Representative Green, like those are really important moments because they have been called. They said he is doing something corrupt. We got to watch him closely, and that's how we were able to find out about Ukraine is because people have been watching them closely because there's been so much pressure to find an impeachment route. So to say that these women just out of the blue were like, "Oh, girl, you know what? Impeachment? Yeah. Have you ever thought of it? Yeah, it's like not correct and not good for." what they're doing because you know what we should be really focusing on is that this class of Democrats uh, that are in Congress whether they're freshmen or been around for a while are really mobilizing and coming yeah. together and I think the story would be stronger to show that you know these group of white moderate women yes. from states that we haven't been talking about or areas we have not talked about as much when we talk about impeachment are coming together and joining forces with people who Fox News have said are crazy or deranged like how they've been painting these women uh, is like that they are not intellectual that they should yeah. not be Congress people so that's how it should be seen is that these people have been fighting this fight and these people are joining, and that's a good thing. Yeah, um, and I think like one of the things we also talked about when we were looking at the story this morning is Mm -hmm. the idea of respectability and where that ties into these things and like, you know, these uh, moderate white women being seen as like working within the system, you know, and like just how that is um, such a dog whistle Mm -hmm. for racism and a critique of the squad. Exactly, because why these women are being praised is that they released the op-ed last week in the Washington Post um, in which they laid out why they believe impeachment should happen and due to their moderate position and due to using the right levels, um, they are now being praised for it. While 
while AOC and everyone else is being kind of still made fun of for it. So, you know, Maxine Waters was on the show on Friday. And when we when you asked her directly, like, do you want to say, ha, ha, told you so? Uh, and she laughed and said, you know, it's not proper for me yeah, to do right. that. And that's what she's speaking to. Is that like, they can't, like, women of color, queer folks, everyone in Congress who are not white and not cis-normative have to navigate these systems in an interesting way or have had to historically. And then you have the squad really making great change yeah, by yeah. not following those rules. But yeah, the media seems to only praise those that are following the rules, which is problematic. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things, too, is this is something that we see happen in, uh, like, white women feminist spaces in particular, like taking the credit for things or, like, centering ourselves um, or, like, forgetting about history and the other folks who have been doing that kind of work. So Exactly. Yeah. But we'll leave it at that for today. But up next, you will see my sit-down with NCIS actress Cody DePablo. NCIS fans were shocked when actor Cody DePablo returned for last season's finale. Cody, who plays fan favorite Ziva David, is here with me now to talk all about that surprise and more. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here. Of course. You know, we were prepping the show and I was seeing how the internet has been starved for you to be here for so many years. <laughs> Not just here, Tell but like back on the show. <laughs> so I was like, yes, we can sit down and kiki about this return. So thank you for making time. Of course. So your character disappeared from NCIS and then surprisingly returned last season. Did anyone on set know that was coming before you all filmed that scene? Um, I think the only people that were obviously aware were um, were the uh, executive producers and I think Mark Harmon, who was also an executive Mm -hmm. producer. And, uh, but I think the principal cast was completely, you know, they left them in the dark. Oh, how did you do um, that? Because that's very shocking because usually it's the cast, especially the leads and the principal cast, that know everything that's about to happen. I think they just really wanted a, a real surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you do that? By not telling anyone. Because mm-hmm. if you tell somebody, you never know. Sometimes people get excited yeah. and then before you know it, they're telling somebody in, you know, at a dinner and then that dinner turns into something else and then mm-hmm. it's on social media and then mm-hmm. before you know it, the surprise is no longer a yeah. surprise. Yes. And I think they did it with that reason and I think they succeeded. What was the reaction on set like during that moment? Um, well, uh, I remember shooting that scene, the first scene, uh, uh, which was the last scene of season 16. Mm-hmm. And I showed up to set, and uh, I think they had a, well, they had a skeleton crew, which is a reduced crew. So okay. they sent everyone home, they wrapped the show. Oh, wow. No one knew this mysterious character was coming, mm-hmm. and most of the skeleton crew had to sign a confidentiality agreement. Wow. So they had to do this entire thing, and finally the name was released. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of the crew had been my crew when I was there, so many of them were friends yeah. and really excited. Um, but I showed up to set around 12 midnight, Okay. and by the time I showed up, uh, everyone was tired, obviously. I think they had like a 17-hour day. Wow. And as soon as I walked in, they just clapped, and it was a really kind of lovely moment. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure. And what did yeah. you feel seeing, you know, the petitions that went live before this? anyone knew this was happening? You know, your fans had rallied, and they were like, we're bringing her back. She needs to be here. What was it like to see that kind of happen? Well, I don't know if you know this, my love, but I'm not on uh, social media. Oh, no, I so know this. I <laughs> know. Oh, you did So you are telling me all this, you know. Oh, my God. I'd heard about it after the fact. I think in the past couple of interviews I'd given, you know, this past week, people talk about this, you know, this yeah. this kind of, you know, social media thing, which mm-hmm. is like people are writing and, you know, yeah. on Twitter and things like that and kind of making their opinions known. But uh, um, always a flattering thing mm-hmm. and always a beautiful thing when you hear that people really love the character and they respond to a character that you've cared for for so long. Mm. And, uh, and that's great. Mm, so, you know, since you're not kind of, you don't have to deal with all what people are thinking about your character constantly on Twitter and so forth, what were you personally so excited about bringing back that character and diving into? Well, I loved the idea of of being disconnected from the character for, you know, a, a nice chunk of time mm-hmm. and then figuring out what has happened to this character and um, making it as complex and 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 disturbing as possible because if this character hasn't been back there's a reason yeah. and if we haven't heard from her there's a reason yeah. and if she's always been this mysterious person then let's find a legitimate reason to make that a compelling mm. you know return mm-hmm. and um, and I think we're finding that we're kind of slowly knitting that story we've only shot three episodes I still have two more and uh, the writers are are at work they're at work so you don't even know what's going to happen no what do you want to happen? Because I know that you only have five episodes this season, but I feel like, you know, if people keep getting as excited as they are, I want to see some more. So what do you want to see happen and would you do more episodes? You know, it's funny. It's very... 
of course, I have my 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 dreams about mm -hmm. the character. But at the end of the day, when you're an actor, you can have all the dreams you want, but mm -hmm. it's not in your hands. Yeah. You know, you have to uh, give over um, your, your dreams to, to writers, and hopefully, <laughs> they'll they'll just you know they'll do right by the character, mm -hmm. and and they'll write something fun and and exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, you just have to accept what comes your way. That's mm -hmm. your job as an mm -hmm. actor. You can say to to a writer, "I would really love for this yeah. to happen," or, but for the most part, you know. Their ideas, mm -hmm. and they'll maybe sometimes take them, and sometimes they won't. Okay, so moving on from your character, you mentioned that you have no social media, and you know we are a show yeah. fueled by Twitter. <laughs> Why is that, and how did you get to be so lucky? <laughs> <laughs> you're the first person to say so. Most people are like, "How come you're not? You're not." Uh, there, there are us. days I need a break. Uh, you know, it's. I, I feel like that's like a second job. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, and I and I see people getting really caught up in that, and. I have immense amount of respect for social media. I think it's a it's an incredible tool if it's used correctly. It can be an incredible platform for truth mm -hmm. and certainly for people that have artistic things to to say and creative ideas to share. Mm. Um, and I'm not opposed to it. I mm. think I I think maybe I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm not sure, but it's not something I'm completely sure of yet. Yeah. Um, I like my privacy. I like knowing that I don't have to feel the pressure to write or update mm -hmm. uh, or give updates or explanations about my life or anything like that. I like the freedom mm -hmm. that that brings. Uh, but then again, I don't have uh, the other reality, so I have no idea what it's like. Maybe my world opens up and then it becomes this really kind of incredibly creative platform mm -hmm. where I get to have this instant connection with a world that may be a really interesting world. Um, but I always hear stories that are, you know, there's like two sides to the coin yeah. kind of a thing. You know, it's like, it could be really wonderful and it could be really great, but you also open up yourself to a forum of incredible opinions. Yes. And not all of them are going to be um, wonderful. Yeah. And I, you know, when you're an actor and you've certainly been on camera for a long time and you have a lot of pressure and you have to deliver and if you're sick, if you're not sick, you still have to go there and you have to do your job. No one can do it for you. There's enough pressure there, and mm -hmm. that's a job in itself. Yes. And to kind of take this other thing, which is an incredible undertaking, a lot of responsibility, I just don't know if I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really transparent you are with that because people try to, they don't take it serious don't, enough. It's a lot. I just don't know if I'm ready for it. I feel like you could do it. You could do it. When you launch it, if you need help. I feel help, like someone's encouraging me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, let me tell you this. If you need help when you begin, let us know. We here at BuzzFeed and Twitter know how to, how to work it. So oh, we can good. give you some advice. Sure. So before I let you go, I, you know, something about social media is that it's really personal. And I it want to is. ask you a personal question. It's that sure. you immigrated here from Chile yes. uh, with your family uh, to Florida specifically. And yes. I'd love to know, how are you processing all these conversations about immigration right now in America? It's a tough, tough thing. And it's a tough question because I have a lot of feelings mm -hmm. um, about it. I, I've always felt like the U.S. has been an incredible country because it, so much of the U.S. was built on immigration. Yeah. And we are all, if you trace our history, from somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're, uh, you know, American Indian, really American Indian, and there's very few of those today yeah. that are just full American Indian, yeah. um, then you can really say, I am, you know, fully from North America, the United States of America, mm -hmm. this is my land, and I've been here from the very beginning. You know, with the exception of that particular group of people, I think everyone else is a little bit of this, it's a little yes. bit of this, it's a little bit of this. So, you know, there's also a lot of other things going on in the country. There's, uh, you know, if you look at many other countries, Venezuela, you know, there are people that are really genuinely running away from horrific circumstances mm -hmm. that are looking for just a better life, yeah. just food, you know, the basics to be able to survive. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing because I do believe that people should be given uh, a home, mm -hmm. but I do believe there are ways of going about it. Mm -hmm. We we have to have a level of control. Yeah. It cannot be completely open. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's where I'll leave it because I okay. think it's a really interesting topic, but I think it's a really big topic. It is. It's a very, very big topic. And it's a large answer. And I don't know if we have enough time to go into yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think we do either because I do have to let you go. But <laughs> I do feel for the people from, mm-hmm. a, from a human standpoint because uh, you can't just classify it all as just immigration. Yeah. Every single person has an individual story. And that individual story is attached to a lot of pain sometimes. Yes, yes. And so there's that thing that as a, as a, as a person that, that obviously feels empathy for, mm-hmm. for immigrants, uh, you know, you can't deny that, that there's a real emotional thing attached to the story. Completely, completely. Well, thank you so much for coming here and sharing your personal story with me thank and you. also inspiring so many people with your character, which people are very, very excited to see what happens this season. Thank with. you for having me, guys. Of course, of course. Well, if you want more answers about what Ziva David has been up to, make sure you watch Cody Pablo on NCIS on Tuesday nights on CBS. Stay tuned for more Aim to DM up next. Welcome back. What a fun show. A very gay show. Did we bring the fuck'em energy to the show? <laughs> the fuck'em energy, the queer energy, everything. I have to say, I cannot wait for uh, Ruby Rose's like walk to be cut. I'm not going all the way down. My knees are not good today. But she got there. That, I mean, she this, did. Is, this she is did. steep, y'all. This is like a far dip. I think the, so far, one of the best ways to just not weigh in on something or like address something controversial is just like, I'm gonna Let's do an action. Become a me. myself out. Instead. Yeah, exactly. Which I loved. And I love that she was here. Chris Colfer is fantastic and I love that he's written yeah. 15, 15 books. 15 books. Damn. My, yeah, that's yeah. a lot. I know some published writers who haven't written 15 well, articles. <laughs> well. <laughs> but what was amazing that tomorrow is the beginning of LGBTQ History Month. So, you know, we kicked it off with some queer historians, not historians, but it's important people. Important people. Icons. History. Icons. Yes, the first exactly. queer Batwoman. Yeah. Play live action. Yeah, there well, you go. Well, let's get to your tweets. We want to know what your reaction to the new cycle is, and Elizabeth shared this gif. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not wrong. This is fine. Everything is fine. Everything I, is fine. That It's fine. That gif has been the mood since, like, 2016. Yeah. For a while now. It's just hmm. constant. Just for, play it. Yeah, over, over and over. over. Okay, well, Farrah tweeted this gif. I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not worried except I'm hysterically crying and shaking. I cannot wait for the BuzzFeed piece on that boy when he goes to college. Like, like what would it like to be defined as this meme or whatever for you? Um, also, I challenge you to a debate in the future over gift. I knew you were going to bring it up. This is, you know. I knew. Yeah. I say GIF. I don't know. I was like, what honestly, is the, I was like, I couldn't focus. The creator like, like, calls it what? GIF? I think it's a GIF. I think the creator says GIF. All right, well, tweet us. Let How us do you say gift gif? <laughs> Let us know for once, and that'll be it. That was very impromptu, so there you go. <laughs> Let us know. Drag me. What is it? Uh, like, like, if you, ah! like if you, <laughs> like if you agree with Alex, retweet if you like. I think we all can me. agree it's gif. Okay. Hard to. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's keep well, going. Well, we Good wanted to know what your favorite song is on your playlist, and Eric says Lizzo's entire discography. I mean... And I that, that I can't debate that. That's very good. It's gold. I mean, yeah. her song came out two years ago, and it's and now still still, still but ahead of its time. Like, do you have that kind of range? Probably not. No. I don't. But that is like your style of playlist, which is just yeah. all of one thank artist's you. music. So you, you, go. you listen to me. I do listen to you. I do. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Tasneem Nashrula, Scott Bixby, Ruby Rose, Chris Colfer, and Cody DePablo. And we will be back here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. You should exit like Ruby Rose. Go, go, go. I'm going to come through. <laughs>